The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Wednesday, the 7th of June in London. Coming up today... In search of a special relationship, Sunak heads to the White House for talks with Biden. An ecological weapon of mass destruction. Ukraine's economy minister tells Bloomberg Russia is to blame for destroying a key dam. A growing crypto crackdown, the SEC accuses Coinbase of running an illegal exchange. No way for Huawei and homes under the hammer. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Wilcock. Plus, putting rivalries aside, the PGA agrees to merge with Liv, creating a global golf superpower. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. On Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will today seek closer economic ties with the US during his first visit as leader to the White House. The two-day trip comes as the US maintains a freeze on talks on any free trade agreement. Duncan Edwards heads the British-American business lobby group. He told our UK Politics podcast that he doesn't expect Washington to change its position. The view here from the administration is that they're opposed to globalization in its broadest sense, that it hollowed out out American towns, it removed American jobs, and the right approach is to invest in, uh, in building the American economy for American workers and so on and so forth. Duncan Edwards was speaking to us as Sunak is expected to call for the US and UK to raise their economic alliance to a par with their defence one. The UK puts the value of existing trade ties at £279 billion annually. A state of emergency has been declared in Ukraine after a dam in, Russian contro- in a Russian-controlled region of the country was damaged in an explosion. Tens of thousands of people may be forced from their homes as a torrent of water swamps communities along the banks of the Dnipro River. Ukraine has accused Russia of blowing up the dam, something the Kremlin denies. Ukrainian economy minister Yulia Sverdenko has told Bloomberg it's a catastrophe. What happened, without any doubt, should be called the biggest man-made disaster. Russia, they've proven once again, they act like a terroristic state and seems to be like an ecological weapon of mass destruction. Ukraine's economy minister also told us it could cost $1.5 billion to rebuild the hydroelectric power plant damaged in the blast. Russia has blamed Ukraine for what it called a terrorist attack. 
The US Securities and Exchange Commission has widened its sweeping crackdown on crypto, suing Coinbase for allegedly running an illegal exchange. Regulators say the biggest US crypto exchange evaded rules by letting users trade numerous crypto tokens that are actually unregistered securities. The SEC chair, Gary Gensler, told Bloomberg the whole sector needs more transparency. I think the crypto industry more broadly, if it's going to have any success going forward, has to come into compliance with basic public policy about disclosure, about avoiding conflicts, about segregating, properly segregating customer funds and guarding against fraud manipulation. Without that, this whole area stands a chances of collapsing like a house of cards. Gary Gensler's interview with Bloomberg comes as Coinbase criticised the SEC's approach and says that it has demonstrated a commitment to compliance. From suing to merging golf's billion-dollar titans, the PGA Tour and Saudi-backed Live Golf have agreed a shock deal. The two tournaments will combine in a new commercial entity with the governor of the Saudi Wealth Fund as its new chairman. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan defended the shift. This is a significant change for us, you know, in the direction that we were going down. But as I'm trying to explain, and I will continue to explain uh, as we go forward, this ultimately is a decision that I think is in the best interest of all of the members of the PGA Tour. That's PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan taking questions after the deal was announced. The new tie-up likely to draw scrutiny from regulators. The US has already opened an investigation into anti-competitive violations from when the two parties were competing. The head of the Confederation of British Industry says that she'll do her utmost to restore trust with members after winning a confidence vote. 93% backed the business lobby group, which has promised radical reform in the wake of sexual misconduct allegations. Director General Rain Newton-Smith says the organisation must make the most of that endorsement. We've got the support of our members and now we want to sit down with policymakers, look at the economic evidence, look at the insights we're getting from businesses and talk to them about the critical challenges our economy faces. Even with the support of members, Ray Newton-Smith faces an uphill struggle to revive the organisation. The CPI has told staff that its wage bill will be cut by a third due to falling membership fees and has taken advice from a law firm on potential insolvency. Chinese exports fell in May for the first time in three months. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis has more from Hong Kong. While not unexpected, this has to be disappointing to policymakers. Exports had been a bright spot for the economy. May's exports down 7.5% from a year ago, worse than the estimate of a drop of 1.8%. Chalk it up to weaker external demand, and that carries risk, more risk, for China. Imports declining 4.5%, leaving a trade surplus of $65.8 billion. Manufacturing also contracted in May, leaving no doubt China's recovery is faltering. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg, Daybreak Europe. Okay, those are a few of our top stories then for you this morning. Uh, Oh dear, uh, New York has overtaken Hong Kong as the most expensive city in the world for expats. Now, our colleagues in New York have pointed out that this is not really a surprise. And I think if you've been to New York recently and have seen how quickly the money bleeds through your fingers, that's not... uh, (laughs) any much of a surprise to people either but it is it's interesting because this is the, so these the ECA international rankings that look at the um cost of how for example rent in neighborhoods that are favored by expats mm-hmm. but also kind of regular you know cost of food cost of regular utilities and things like that are ranked too um there is 
interesting to see that there's inflationary impacts on this as well. Think about Dubai, for example. We know that rents have skyrocketed there due to the influx of Russian expatriates. That's pushed the city up to 12th place in the cost of living rankings. Uh, And Paris has fallen out of the top 20 list because inflation has been lower there. Yeah, but London is still in there in the top five, which I'm um, kind of aghast at, but perhaps not surprised. Also, Geneva. Not a renter, Caroline. That might be why. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, look, I, but one, yeah, you understand that the city is is incredibly expensive. But Geneva also um, is is third as well for most expensive place uh, to live. I mean, they're also great places to do business. So yeah, uh, well, difficult. Yeah, there's a reason, I suppose, why so many expats are moving to those places. Too. Yeah, they flock uh, to those locations. Uh, also, the story though around England and um, the problems with wind power. There's a piece on the terminal that has a great first line about how many thousands of years with the current planning regulations in the UK it is going to take. Shall I read it to you in a dramatic voice? The year is 6,723 and there are finally enough onshore wind farms in England to support the UK's 2050 net zero target. Yeah, I mean hats off to To Will Will Mathis. Yes, to writing (laughs) what we all think is one of the best uh, news lines uh, this morning. Um, But look, I think it's about the planning regulations. I think though, to be fair, the offshore wind story for the UK is positive Mm. but there is this real concern that onshore, you know, is not getting the same yeah. attention. And look, even in offshore wind, there's a long way to go to meet those targets yes. as well. The, the question and the point that the IPPR is trying to make with this report is that they need to speed up. Yeah. So that on the UK um, and a bit more really on the government uh, actions today, of course, trade ties, but not a trade deal. Rishi Sunak is expected to try to uh, get closer to uh, ties with President Joe Biden, of course, during his first visit as leader to the White House. So joining us uh, in studio this morning is Bloomberg's uh, UK correspondent Lizzie Burden. So what is Sunak, what is the UK hoping to get out of this two-day visit to Washington? Well, as you say, Carolina, transatlantic trade deal isn't even on the table anymore. But Rishi Sunak's main mission is going to be to put the UK-US economic relationship on a more even footing with the US-UK security relationship relationship. So behind the scenes, it's being referred to as a trade deal in all but name. And that includes, quote unquote, smoothing the edges of the Inflation Reduction Act. This is how the UK Energy Secretary Grant Shapps has put it. It's something that Britain seems to have an understanding from the Biden administration. It can ha- it can get because Britain just doesn't want to be caught in the middle between the Inflation Reduction Act on the one side and the EU's response to it on the other. But apart from the economic issues on the agenda that obviously going to talk about Ukraine. You'll probably get the leaders reaffirming their support uh, for President Zelensky after the meeting. Uh, And then China, because the two sides will discuss how to shore up critical infrastructure and global supply chains against that Chinese influence. And finally, AI, because of course, in recent days, Rishi Sunak has said that he would like to have a global watchdog for artificial intelligence based here in London. Lizzie, much is made of the personal relationships between the US president and the British Prime Minister. What do we know about the the rapport between Rishi Sunak and Joe Biden? Well, as you know, at times Joe Biden struggled to remember Rishi Sunak's name, mm. even. And a lot of 
everything that the US president does is highly choreographed. So, of course, many in the British press have read into the fact that Joe Biden spent more time in Ireland than in the rest of the UK when he came for the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, that he didn't attend the king's coronation. Biden went out of his way to emphasise that that wasn't a snub to Rishi Sunak, even though he has been very negative about Brexit uh, while he's been president. So Rishi Sunak is going to be trying to um, warm those relations, especially given it's his first official Washington trip. He'll want to elevate the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And many eyes on that. Thank you so much, Lizzie Burden, for being with us, our UK correspondent, taking us through that uh, Sunak-Biden meeting. Up next, no way for Huawei and homes under the hammer. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The Paper Review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And Bloomberg's Jane Wilcock joins us now for a look at what's in the papers. Morning to you, James. Let's start in the Financial Times, which reports that the EU is considering a mandatory ban on Huawei. Yes, so this is the Commission, sort of the lawmaking body of the European Union. Um, they recommended that member states try and remove security risks from their 5G networks back in 2020. So this kind of chimes with what Lizzie was saying, this big geopolitical story about how now the Commission is worried that some countries, fingers being pointed at Germany especially, are dragging their heels over this. And this company is especially affecting companies like Huawei. So they are now talking behind closed doors, the FT report, about a mandatory ban. This likely wouldn't even come into play until at least 2024 because it would take a long time to get legislation through. But it plays into this narrative of the European Commission putting out of de-risk, not decoupling from China. And it also speaks to sort of why we're doing this now. There are sort of the mounting geopolitical tensions we've mentioned. There's also the national intelligence law from the People's Republic of China, which is that a company based in China is obliged to give the Chinese government any kind of data it asks for and to potentially conceal it from other countries that it has done so. So there are genuine fears about what kind of the impact it has. You can see that here in the UK, another story in the FT this morning, is that the Cabinet Office have told government departments to remove all surveillance equipment made by Chinese companies, including Dahua and Hikivision, from sensitive sites in an attempt to limit potential intelligence gathering by Beijing. It's worth adding that Huawei's side of view is this violates all EU principles of having a fair market and non-discrimination, which it says it upholds, and it says it has a right to a fair market. It's you know not to be blamed for sort of Chinese government policy. Yeah, okay, and that, that's the number of the debate. Um, the Times are writing about ethical ESG funds suffering their worst month ever for withdrawals. Yes, this needs a bit of unpacking, Caroline, because uh, to be honest, there is some scepticism around this. Mm. But to give you the headline figure, Carol Stone compiled industry-wide figures, and they say the ESG equity funds suffered their worst ever month, shedding £304 million of capital, and that is the fastest pace ever. Second worst was the mini-budget in September 2022, where a net £126 million was pulled. So it is more 
more than double, like the second worst figure. But this is also a wider pullback that is being seen across equity funds generally. And when you add in the fact that ESG funds are by design underweight on things like oil, which performed very well last year, they also tend to be quite overweight on things like tech, which although is getting better now, we did quite worse at the start of this year. You start to worry that the question, and it is an open question, is is this a secular trend of investors being concerned about uh, greenwashing, being concerned about issues around sort of green politics and ESG funds losing their popularity? Or is this a case of weightings and poor performance, which is just as it is? And But it is a genuine question because a lot of these issues are increasingly mm. being raised. So it's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, certainly an interesting one to keep an eye on, as you say, James. Let's go to the Telegraph next. Uh, Predicting a house price full, but for the next five years. And this is timely, given that we have new figures on house prices. Yes, you took the words right out of my mouth, Stephen. Timely, given Halifax have just posted uh, what they're calling the first annual fall in house prices since 2012. Uh, Prices fell 1% versus a year earlier. Now, the Telegraph are writing about how this fall is going to be a long and drawn-out process. And they cite Oxford Economics as well as a series of other economists uh, in this and they say that property values will fall 9.4% from their peak last year, hitting their lowest levels between July and September 2025. Now, I do want to shout about that this is something that we have been talking about here for a very long time, not just talking about sort of economists in Bloomberg like Nirvana Shah who say that have been predicting attempts to fall for quite some time now, but also we had former BOE rate setter Michael Saunders on the UK Politics podcast just last week who was saying fixed rate mortgages are delaying the impact of these interest rates heights and the telegraph are effectively wrapping this in and the bit that they add is that they also have talked to a lot of mortgage lenders and these mortgage lenders are already pumping their existing mortgage deals higher as the markets now bet the bank of england will be raising rates to 5.5 percent the average rate for a two-year mortgage has jumped from 5.33 percent to 5.75 in just the past two weeks according to money facts the telegraph say so this bump up is already being seen in mortgage rates but the big delaying factor is when people have to refinance this is bloomberg daybreak europe your morning brief on the stories making news from london to wall street and beyond look for us on your podcast feed every morning on apple spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts you can also listen live each morning on london dab radio the bloomberg business app and bloomberg.com Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.